Thank you for coming tonight. Um, and please, when you're out there, when in doubt, laugh. And I beg you, don't let the standing ovation go longer than five minutes. But not less than four, because that's Celine's record. Listeners, I want to welcome in the most special of special guests, a first-time guest, an acting professor from the University of Detroit Mercy, an old-school friend of mine from the realm of the theater land, Mr. Andrew Papa. Welcome in The Water is Warm. Thank you so much, Bob. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on, man. Oh, man, so we have a, a little game that we play here, a little radio game that we play. Anytime someone references their acting career, either past or present, we ring a siren to uh, mock them in their personal uh, gloating or name dropping of themselves almost. So uh, just, I, I think we're going to be just ringing that siren a lot, just me and you going down memory lane today. But you're a regular listener of this show, correct? You listen to us. Absolutely. What, it's funny, I, I, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you guys. I, uh, I listen to you guys a lot more when, uh, when, I, when I was driving more. Yeah. <laughs> that's, well, that's fucking podcasting, right? Like, that's podcasting. And it's so, so now, that I'm, now that I'm driving a little bit more, I'm, I'm playing some catch up. Oh, uh, you're catching up on this now. Yeah, yeah. So forgive me if I'm, I'm a little behind. But uh, oh, no, no it's, it's, it's great fun to listen to you guys uh, talk about stuff. And it gives me ideas for what to watch next. So it's always right. good. Hey, that's that's kind of the goal. The, the the goal of this has always just been through the beautiful radio waves, joining on a, on a couch, uh, essentially of of people, friends talking about movies and and breaking down our interpretations of stuff. Sometimes giving recommendations, but it, it's not necessarily a, a a podcast that's supposed to be about recommendations, but just interpretations of of what we've watched. But you know, sometimes just through the osmosis that that ends up happening where people check something out because it sounded interesting on here. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I, I would say that, uh, that yeah, I, I, I love, I mean, part of the reason I got into teaching acting and, and I still act as, as often Siren. as I can. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, is, is I love talking about it. I love, I love, you know, I love breaking it down. I love, you know, all those analysis shows and I'm, I'm always geeked to, to, to dive into. And I love hearing actors talk about the work and, and you yeah. know, all that kind of good stuff. It's always fun. And so, and, and, and even just to go off of one other thing that you said about listening while you're driving, I listen to Dak Shepard's podcast. I mean, I listen to a ton of podcasts, but his Armchair Expert podcast, I heard him once talking about and being very transparent with his anxiety that his listenership were, was down during the pandemic. Like they, they saw just a lot less hits because people weren't commuting to work. And his co-host, Monica Padman, said, well, once they start going back to work, they're going to catch up. They're going to need all this material to catch up on. So she was trying to give them peace of mind there. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's definitely something that comes and goes depending on, you know, if you, if you have free time or downtime to, to chew on or kill, right? Bingo, bingo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bingo. yeah. And it's, it's tough when you're, you're working from home with uh, two kids <laughs> tyking around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, help, shut up. I need to hear Matt Hayes' take on this South Park episode, kids. I need to hear what he thinks about Carmen. It's, it's, it's a whole thing. <laughs> Cartman, it's, it's, it's like, what the hell is really going on? Yeah. It's, he's ruining, There's... Ivy was shut ruining up, my kid. flow. Yeah, yeah. They're going to reflect <laughs> on that when they're in therapy one day in their teens. They're going to say, Save it. my yeah, dad save... used to scream at me because he needed to hear these deep takes on I say, Oscar save, bait movies. Save it for your therapist, kid. I don't have time for this. I need to hear Hayes' analysis. Yes, thank you. Well, hopefully he joins us. He's, he's running back from work right now, so he's, he's trying to make this podcast. If he jumps in, you guys, you'll, 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 you'll know when that happens. But you had messaged me. And typically with our show, if you message us, we just bring you on. It's, it's a pretty open door policy here. But you had said, hey, have you been watching this HBO show, Hacks? I have really been enjoying it. And I, just based on our friendship, I think you would like this show. And I said, well, shit, man, it seems like it's, it's 
10 episodes here, all little 30 minute bangers. Why don't I watch this and then bring you on the podcast for the first time? And you said, well, all right. And so here we are and we'll do a little give it a stream. So when we give it a stream, we kind of catch up on stuff we've been watching. It's not necessarily a, a focused in topic on one particular thing, but we just talk about the things that we're juggling, trying to keep up with the Joneses of all of the streaming content that comes across our face and all of our many different applications. What drew you to hacks? Because I have, I, I, I went through a journey here in terms of my feelings towards this show. Why did you connect with it? So it was interesting. You know, I, I, uh, we had an HBO subscription and then it kind of lapsed and then we kind of brought it back again. And so when we, when we were bringing it back again, I was looking at all these different shows and, uh, and I saw Gene Smart and I thought like, man, Gene Smart, like she's a solid actor. And, and the, but what's fascinating about, about Gene Smart is I feel like she, she really did ride that wave of kind of that sort of character actory, sort of in the periphery. She's got, um, she's got this, there's something about her, her, I don't want to say her look, but like there's something about her that just reads as like, she's always kind of, it looks like she's either like a little drunk or a little this. And so she kind of got typecast as that, I think a lot but she's a solid actor. And, and I saw her in, uh, I think it's season two of Fargo. And I was like, holy shit, I forgot how good Jean Smart is. And she's been kind of booking a lot of stuff lately. Yeah, she's and like the HBO queen right now because she's on The Watchmen, she's on this. What, what, she's got one, one other one that she's doing as well. Mary oh, she just did Mayor of Easttown. Yeah, she was yeah. Uh, Kate Winslet's mom. Yeah. And she's great in that. She's like, she's outstanding in that and, and totally different, you know, a, a sort of, you know, sort of the drunk mom. Yeah, drunk yeah, grandma. Right. Yeah. But see, and, and, and to her credit, I mean, you know, she, that's that she played that type well, but that she, she's better than just being pigeonholed in that. And, and so I think that what, what really attracted me to it was, was sort of seeing her work. And then the other thing that drew me was I thought, Wow, who's this? Who's this new person that she's working with? Because the the concept of the show, right, is it's this old comedian and this kind of younger comedic writer, and they're working together. And uh, I went, wow. As I was watching the show, I thought, wow, that the girl who plays uh, the the woman who plays Ava, she's really good. And it's Hannah, and I'm gonna mess it up. Ian Bender, I believe. Um, it's Lorraine Ian Bender. Daughter. Unbender. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's Lorraine Newman's Lorraine Newman from the original cast of Saturday Night Live. It's her actual yeah, daughter. You get to and I was like, the candygram. What? So it it that was the thing that kind of hooked me. And then what kept me going was was the I mean the writing's outstanding, the acting's outstanding. Um, uh, I threw you the show because I loved it so much. So I am going to sound like I'm pitching it a lot, but I think what what hooked me too was that, and, and this is why I thought you would like it, Bob, is that I feel like it it addressed so many of the nuances of stand up comedy, especially from a, a female perspective and, and, and the history of stand-up comedy and how stand-up comedy has changed from sort of an older style to sort of what, what I feel like, where I feel like I see stand-up going a lot. And I know you have experience with stand-up and I don't know if you know this, but I, I, when I was, I was a huge stand-up junkie. I've literally never done it in my life, but I've, I've been a, a huge fan of the, the, the format for a long, long time. And so I feel like this was a show that that really, really talked about that format of stand-up comedy in a way that I'd never seen before. And I thought, I, I think this could be, this could be really fun to, to kind of chat about, so. Okay, we'll start with Gene Smart because I can admittedly say I did not have the same feelings you had about Gene Smart when you saw, oh, this is a Gene, I, I've recognized her face, but I don't really know much about her as an actress. So as I'm watching the show and her, performance is impressive, obviously. I, I am her, and you start to realize that she's been these character parts and all of these different things that you've seen throughout your childhood and, and into your adulthood. But I laughed because she's in one of my favorite childhood movies, Homeward Bound, An Incredible Journey. And she's the ranch hand that they give the fucking pets to and then she loses the pets. Like the whole movie is on her neglect of these animals in her care. And I'm like, Gene Smart's the fucking ranch lady. Like, fuck that lady. But yeah, she's had this kind of fun 
type of career and all sorts of different parts. And, and it's interesting this late in her career, finally getting an opportunity because this is a very, I mean, HBO show and it's this kind of 30 minute dramedy, like comic dramatic run here, which is just all the rage. Like it's, it's like everything right now is like 30 minute, 10 episode, kind of uh, bangers and so but then you also like oh she's on the watchman oh yeah oh she was the, in mayor of east town like like hbo has just really gotten on the gene smart train and and i was just like oh that's interesting but i'll be honest with you when i first turned the show on i struggled for the first three episodes then I started to to get in the rhythm and it's actually towards the back half of the series when it gets kind of melancholic or it gets introspective just in terms of career and an artist's journey. And it almost reminded me the last five episodes of a movie that I really loved, but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And you're probably going like, what are you fucking talking about, Bob? But a really interesting part of that movie was Leonardo DiCaprio searching within himself and becoming more vulnerable as an artist when he's kind of in the chaos of a fading career and being kind of up against the wall, but also finding an artistic breakthrough. And I was like, oh, that's kind of happening here with Deborah, right? Like she's been doing the same act in Vegas over and over again. And I really liked the scenes when, for example, they go, she's she's working some new material and they go to a kind of a rundown comedy club and she's looking at the wall and she's reflecting and she's like, oh, these were actually thrilling times in my career when I had to earn the laughs. Like they, no one believed in me as a standup and, and it was thrilling to have to win an audience over. I haven't had to do that in a long time, but I miss those moments. Or in, obviously getting, personal with her career and I and I thought it was a really interesting journey of a character that loves this art of stand-up and loves how personal it gets and how intimate it gets with the audience yet doesn't want to share any personal elements of herself with the audience and kind of her working through that process yeah the first three episodes were too meta for me. It was a lot of this joke breakdown in construction and it didn't work with me because I was like, the, the bits aren't funny. It was, it was weird watching a show that's set in and with people who are supposed to be comedy and joke writers, but I wasn't laughing. Like, this isn't like a laugh machine. This isn't like a laugh factory. You're not really, I don't think I laughed at all during any of these 10 episodes. So it just felt like it was trying to be funny, but not working. Whereas the later episodes went into a different study and that actually worked for me. Does that make sense to you? It does. It does. I, you know, it's funny. The, the, and I think, I think it actually gets at, one of the one of the interesting trends about stand up that I feel like the format for the show works, which is this like it is right. If you had to say, is this show a comedy or a drama, right? You would say, well, it's kind of a little bit of both. Um, really, I would probably lean more towards. I think it's kind of a drama about comedy mm -hmm. um, in a lot of respects, and then there are moments that are fun. Me. But because it's not of the comedic, I, I'm realizing I'm totally, it's totally different style, but like, it's not, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, yeah. right? You're not going, oh my God, Charlie Day, what are you, you know, you're not <laughs> laughing at the absurdity of, you know. Um, so basically it's not knee slapping hilarious like that show is. Okay. Exactly, right? And, and but, but what's, what's funny is, you know, you were talking about, you know, that, one of the sort of turning point episodes is when she goes back to, I call it the brick wall, right? Because that's so much of what, where stand-ups get their start are in those comedy clubs with the brick wall and the shiny light and the like, people who are, you know, having drinks at tables and they're heckling the, the comedians. Mm -hmm. That's where they work their material. And she kind of goes back there and realizes like, 
that she doesn't have that in Vegas. In Vegas, it's a gigantic stage. She's, you know, 500 feet away from, from anybody in the audience and she's running on autopilot, you know? Yeah. Like she's kind of, she's kind of running the, running the bits and doing the things. Yeah, they have but a nice little montage of her doing the same joke, but in different outfits. And it really, exactly. it, that's a nice little way that the director was able to say like, yeah, same thing, different night, different shoes. Right. Exactly. It, and, but what's funny is it got me thinking about like, you know, when I, when you listen to, and it's not to say all older comedians, but, but a lot of the older style, you didn't really get a lot of the person. You got the jokes, right? Which I is, mean, yeah, that's very I, much Deborah's point of view, right? There, there's these conflicting, Ava is more of kind of a Mitch Hedberg ask, like, it doesn't need to be this setup. Uh, turn punchline structure that's a very masculine structure, she says. So you you have these kind of dueling ideologies of comedy, which which I see what you're saying, but it's just like I wish that the jokes that they were actually coming up with or talking about together were funny, right? Does that make sense? It does. It makes perfect sense, and it 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 is funny that um, the the. Uh, Hannah, again, Ein Binder, I think I'm saying it yeah. correctly. Yeah, fuck it. Well, that, that's what it is today. That's what it is today. She actually is a comedy writer. Like, she actually, and, and is a stand-up, too. So she had, you know, has some of that, that element. I don't think she was a writer for, for any of the episodes. I get what you're saying. And, and I think that, uh, to a certain degree, that is something that, that maybe could have been done in, in, a, in a, a slightly more, not necessarily polished way, but... Um, it, it, it just, I think the thing that, that really struck me about it was that it, it showed the trajectory of comedy in a way that I'd never seen before, which was like, you know, in the older sort of, I don't want to say the older style, but in sort of an, an older way of approaching comedy, it was about that, what she talks about, the masculine structure, the like, set up, set up bit, set up, set up bit. Um, another way that I read it was especially like in the 80s, right? In the 80s, it was like, it was the blazers that were rolled up to the yeah. shoulder. Right? Roll pounds down. Right? The blazer rolled up to the elbows and the shining bright light and the opening line of every male comic was, man, women, am I right? <laughs> and like, it, it just didn't matter what you said. People were just like, ah, that's hilarious. Well, but that's that was every stand male comedian. Like, who cares? And now, it's not to say all comedians, but you think about like, Tignataro, right? Tignataro mm -hmm. is a brilliant comedian. She did an entire 30-minute stand-up routine about having cancer, and it was hysterical. But there were moments when she was like, I don't know if I can get through this. Mm -hmm. And one of the best part, um, the album that she did is a comedy. She actually was nominated for a Grammy for it. It's, it's unbelievable listening to the audience. Cause like you don't hear the, that rhythm, you know, in the older style, it's like, we're waiting for it. We wait for it. We laugh. We wait for it. We wait for it. We laugh. And you can hear the audience go like, we need to laugh. And she finds ways of doing it, but the rhythm is just so, you don't know when it's coming. And I feel mm -hmm. like that's so much of what Ava is trying to get um, Deborah to do and it's why I love the fact that when she does it, it isn't a radical success. She bombs, but it, she's like, yeah, I did bomb, but that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's something to that. So I, th I thought that that dynamic was really interesting and, and, and spoke a lot about, um, again, where it's, it's interesting to see where, where comedy is headed. And I feel like it highlighted that well in the show. I, I agree with you there. And I, I, I don't want to, I don't, I'm just, I'm more ragging on the first three episodes. I'm like, what did Andrew see in this? And then as, as we learn more about the characters, I definitely came around on the show and it's, it's a, it's a smash success. I think it's got 15 nominated for 15 Emmys. I think the, both the women that are in the show are, are nominated. There's writing. It's basically nominated for anything it could possibly be up for. And, and it's got just, any anyone that has seen the show just raves about it. So I, I felt disconnected for a few episodes there. But I, I do like that there is a lot of conversation about, for example, Ava's talking about the Panera crowd. She's like, yeah, you tell jokes for Panera people or, or snowbirds coming in from Florida. And 
And then Debra kind of fires back with what? Because a joke is popular, that means that it's not good. Like because my jokes appeal to a wide audience, that makes it not good. And and I just guys like me and you and sitting in green rooms ring the siren. But we, we talk all the time about stuff like David Letterman's approach to his show versus Jay Leno's. And Jay Leno went for uh, an overall mass appeal versus Letterman didn't give a fuck and he was going to have a more edgy take. And obviously Leno was more popular, but was it better? And, and at least from my perspective, I appreciate the edginess. And so that's why I like when Deborah starts to experiment within her act and take it to another place and, and take it to a vulnerable place. And I love and so very much admire what Dave Chappelle is ascending his craft to. And, and anyone that listens to the show knows that I just worship Dave Chappelle and, and talk about it, but it, it feels like that's kind of some of the things that Deborah's starting to experiment with. And, and I love, I, I love the little uh, touch of uh, the, the, in the last episode where they're asking her what type of shoe does she want? Does she want the practical comfortable shoe or the stiletto? And she, she first says the comfortable shoe because she's, thinks she's going to be standing the whole time doing her normal routine but then you watch her walk out and they zoom in on those stilettos and she sits in the chair because she's like she's made that decision I'm going to sit in the stool and do the transparent act thus I'm going to wear the, the good shoes when I do it and I, I just like those little moments that did make me smile I also like with the characters that there's a lot of symmetry between Deborah and Ava just in their life and and as you learn more about them and as they spend more time together you you definitely see that Deborah walked so that people like Ava could run and it's definitely a throwback and a parallel to just the, the female comedians whether it's the mother the SNL mother or whether it's obviously this is has a lot of strong parallels to Joan Rivers but like that the sacrifices that those women had to make to open the door for creative comedy and the respect that Deborah feels that she'd uh, rightfully deserves in in that place and I, I thought that was really interesting because like I said both of them have had issues with strained relationships with their families like obviously Ava has uh, trouble with her parents and and obviously Deborah has the ex-husband and the, the the daughter issues and they both have this history of personal romance problems they both have this overworked kind of work-life balance that they struggle with even Marcus the the assistant like he's struggling with work-life balance so all of that is kind of baked into this what does it take to entertain the audience like what does it take to be great I think some of those things and the parallels of the characters worked pretty nicely as well. Yeah, there, there's, there's one line in particular that, that really stands out. It's the, it's the scene where they're in the desert where uh, uh, Deborah is trying to kind of, you know, trying in some way to connect with Ava. You, you, you think that she's connecting with Ava, but then you realize, no, she's just abandoning her in the desert and she has yeah. to figure out her own way home. I'm going to take the helicopter. But there's a great moment where they, they're having kind of this spat. They're going back and forth, and and Deborah says something like, "Yeah, well, you're you're young. Like, what do you know? Yeah. You're young, kind of thing." And Ava says, "Yeah, but I'm also good." And the response, because you you know, you think like, "Yeah, you know, she is good," but Deborah's response is great. Is like, "Being good doesn't cut it. Mm -hmm. That like being good doesn't mean." anything you've got to be great and you've got to be consistently great yeah. and then you've got to be great in ways that they don't expect and she and i'm like yeah, yeah. horribly paraphrasing the dialogue but yeah or there's another moment where she's like you think this is hard don't fucking talk to me about hard yeah right. and there, there's a lot of moments like that where and i think obviously there's an affection from deborah to ava because she sees a lot of herself in this person right Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I think one of the, one of the strongest moments, I hope, uh, it, we're, hope it's okay. This is somewhat spoiler. <laughs> no, we're, we spoil everything on here. Go ahead. Okay. But the, one of my favorite moments in that is when, is when she does go back to that, that old comedy club and they're having, you know, those, uh, uh Deborah's kind of going, um, back and forth with an old colleague friend who's still around the area. And they're talking about the old times and they talk about just 
how horrible some of the men were who ran the who ran the clubs at the time. And yeah. at first, Deborah and her friend are like, "Well, that was kind of the time." And of course, you know, people in our generation are like, "Fuck that! Why would you put up with that?" Yeah. And you know, it was like that was how they got stage time. They were just like, "This was how it had to happen." And then when she sees it. Because of course the guy who runs the comedy club is like the worst of the worst. Yeah, I mean, that I, character I, was a piece. That that was he was such a piece of shit. It was so unbelievable. I was like, it, okay. It was yeah. almost as if I mean, don't get me wrong. I have no doubt that there is somebody out there who's like that or worse. But that said, it I, I know what you're saying. It was almost like you took every single horrible stereotype and just threw them all together into this guy. But the thing that really clinched it was the fact that he was all these horrible things and he also wasn't that funny. Yeah, like, yeah. I've been to those comedy clubs where the where the guy who's kind of the warm-up act for all the other comedians and he's the one going in between. And by the way, it is all, almost always a dude. Mm -hmm. Like I've been to those clubs where they're hilarious and then the comedians come out and you're like bring the guy back out he's funnier and i've also been there where he thinks he's the funniest one and it's like just introduce him out of here guy. yeah like, shut up um and and actually another show that kind of addressed that is um uh, crashing with uh with oh, oh yeah uh, pete holmes with yeah pete holmes, pete holmes. Um, but, but the, the other thing, oh, and then what I was getting at with that episode is that, um, she sees him, you know, of course, just rip into some, some girl, poor, you know, comedian who's trying to work her way up the ranks as well, like anybody, any good comedian. And she offers this guy 1.69, because of course he's making some 69 joke. Yeah, yeah. It's six, nine million dollars to literally never do comedy again. Like, just, I will give you money for you to just sit down and stop. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God. And then, of course, my favorite line is he goes, can I do a podcast? No. <laughs> no podcast. No. I felt seen. Yeah. That would have been me. I want the money. Can I still do podcasts? Yeah. Can uh, I still do podcasts? No. And it's like, yeah. And it's, it's like she was doing something that she felt like she should have done 30 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever. Right? Mm -hmm. Um. So I thought that was really great. Can I ask yeah. you a question? Yeah. Because I had this thought when I actually started seeing Deborah try new things or, or change this incredibly rooted behavior she had in her act. But I didn't necessarily buy Ava convincing this person to have this artistic awakening. I didn't believe the relationship and I didn't believe in her character enough that the dialogue they were having was going to force Deborah into rethinking her entire life and career. I just didn't buy that turn. Did you buy it? And if you did, kind of what, what made you feel that way? You know, I, I was given this some thought, you know, it, one of the other things that I feel like the show tackled was um, how how pervasive social media is for so stand-up comedians right now mm -hmm. that if if you're somebody if you're an established stand-up comedian and you're not on Twitter it's like you're clearly making some sort of statement by it because every comedian is on Twitter and if you're wanting to get into stand-up you have feel like you have to sort of it's like well everybody else is and what spirals Ava to what spirals her into this position, why she's not like just being a comedy writer is that she had a, a an off-colored joke that she tweeted and people kind of essentially canceled her, right? Um, and Deborah's pissed because the joke just wasn't funny. Right, which, <laughs> like, which it, it frankly wasn't. Um, but what's interesting is like, in it, 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 again, this makes me sound like a, some old geezer but like in the pre-internet days like that joke that she said she would have done it in a comedy club it would have bombed and she would have gone oh well that didn't work i guess i'll try something else but because it was on twitter it was like yeah. just there and so in terms of convincing deborah i don't know i just so much of what makes stand-up a unique art form is that it's 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 the one art form where the audience has to be a part of the process so much more than just the product 
right? Like mm -hmm. in theater, you rehearse, you rehearse, you rehearse. Maybe you see a preview, but at the end of the day, like you're seeing the performance. Stand-ups have to do their stuff with the audience. And I do feel like Ava could sense that Deborah was running on autopilot, mm -hmm. that she needed to try some new stuff. It's, it, and you know, and Deborah, you know, like she said at the end, it, you know, she said, I bombed, like it was mm -hmm. horrible. But what's great at the very end is she said, I bombed, but it was great. Like, I want to keep bombing. I want to find this approach because it's making her fall back in love with the art form again. She's not just going onto QVC and selling a bunch of crap that she doesn't really care about. Um, I think what I will say to, 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 to defend your point is that I do think that Deborah did seem like almost like happy complacent, so mm -hmm. happy complacent that it's like, why would she even bother listening to Ava? Like there wasn't even a, as that much of a hint that she. Well, she does a wholesale personality change. Like she's nicer to the press. She's better right. to her daughter. She changes her act, like all of this through this relationship. And maybe it's because it was just 30 minutes at a time. And maybe it's because those 30 minutes are not all of them together all the time. Like there's these moments where we spend a day with Ava or we spend a day with Deborah. And I just like, I don't necessarily believe this all of a sudden this friendship has emerged yet. I just didn't know if it was necessarily earned. I see why they would want to do it. I just didn't know if, if I was there emotionally yet. And that, that was just a, a, a piece of criticism I had over it. And I also will say, I just, I was so much happier when we were with Deborah or Deborah and Ava together than the moments of Ava doing self-discovery, whether that's with her mother during a funeral, which I loved the funeral scene. I actually teared up during the, the actual moment where Deborah helps MC the funeral but I like whether it's like her with the the, the man who kills himself or her with her, her ex-girlfriend or a, a lot of that stuff I was just kind of like all right let's get back to Deborah or yeah, Ava and I, Deborah together yeah I, I think I I can see what you mean there it does it it there 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 is a tendency of it leaning a little too into and of course she has that funny like I'm not a millennial I'm Gen Z but it's a little <laughs> of this like millennial discovering herself yeah. type of thing. I can see how that might not be as captivating mm -hmm. as uh, uh, so much of what, what makes the relationship between Deva, Deborah and Ava so dynamic and, and so interesting. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, but outside of, and I would consider those nits in a nitpick, I think your sentiment of, hey man, me and you both share this, passion for stand-up comedy here's a show that takes it puts it into a dramatic narrative element there's these pieces where they're breaking and, and breaking down the constructs of jokes or just a comedy evolution I could see exactly why you would recommend it to me and I do for that reason think that the show has a lot of value and I think I, I just love comedians in cars getting coffee I love Jerry Seinfeld sitting down with every comedian that's ever worked basically that's still alive and they talk about an act or they, they break down a joke or he talks very poetically and passionately about how different comedians have approaches and structure to their act. And this, this takes it on. And, and I also think it was really smart to add this Vegas fading star, Joan Rivers element. And I, I think Joan Rivers is actually a very fascinating person in the history of entertainment. And if you haven't seen it yet, there's a documentary on Joan Rivers called Joan, and it runs very parallel to pieces of Deborah in this. And she is working her ass off. And it definitely shows you her running from a casino gig into a QVC session, into a book signing, into plastic surgery and signing checks for her cousin's kid to go to private school. And, and it just showed like how this woman is, is basically working herself into the grave uh, to, to, to care for all these family members. And I think Caitlin Olson as the daughter here, speaking of always study in Philadelphia, <laughs> I almost interrupted you and been like, okay, uh, the D is in the show. But uh, Caitlin Olson as this like bratty daughter who Deborah is just constantly supporting, whether it's 
through shitty jewelry or letting paparazzi take pictures of her in baggy sweatpants so that she can make money on the side and and the the prenuptial scene i thought was a nice scene again all of this stuff kind of comes later in the season uh but i i i overall i i I definitely can see why people are excited about it it just took me a little while to get there yeah no i i can i i can totally respect that and and what's funny the true story about about joan rivers is that uh she was in one of the original um second city troops in like the late 50s getting into the 60s she she was doing improv she was like there with like alan alda yeah, like she was there like in the early days, like with Paul Sills and Viola Spolin in the back of the theater. Del um, Close. What, Del Clo- yeah, milling about going, yeah. mm, I don't know about this. Uh-huh. Um, I think I'm going to create my own thing. Um, but but what's funny about Joan Rivers is, is an incredibly respected comedian. One of the things that she struggled with is every time she would do a scene, she would just, she would just like launch into stand-up bits. Yeah. And it would be like, Joan, there's a scene happening. Like you can't just like go into these things. And then that's kind of what, according to the, the interviews I read, it was like, that was when the light bulb was off for her. Like, oh, I'm a comedian, but this isn't the medium for me. Like yeah. I need to, you know, so that, that was it's really of- interesting when you think about comedians and mediums too, because mm-hmm. Chris Farley, on the other hand, tried stand up and was horrible. And he would he was asked about it and he's like, Yeah, I, I work better with a group and with a team and, and I work better on the spot and I would just get out there with my microphone and, and just basically try to improvise with the audience and that's not stand up. And he's like, you got to work this set and have these structured jokes. And he's like, That's I don't have any of that skill. I'm not a writer. And I think, and that's a cool thing about the Joan documentary is she takes you into these rooms where she has all of her jokes categorized and alphabetized and she can come through and be like, oh yeah, this is that joke that she was looking for a joke and she was trying to remember where it was. And she's going through this Rolodex trying to find the card. And you get a little bit of that with Deborah, right? She's got all of the things inventoried. She wants Ava to go do the work. And, and it's through that where Ava starts to get an appreciation of Deborah's career. And it, that, that, was, that was a cool little element there as well. Yeah. And I think, I think to, to kind of loop back to the beginning of what we were kind of talking about, the, the idea of like, I think you had said that so much of what Deborah Vance writes so much of what she did was the safe stuff, right? That's a lot of the Vegas crowd. It's a lot of the, the you know, when you're touring stuff. And the thing is, is like, not to get philosophical, but like, right, what is the point of comedy? The point of comedy yeah. is to make you laugh. Like that there's, you can dissect it as much as you want, but at the end of the day, it's to make people laugh. But people are different. People laugh at different things. So like, you know, millennials living on the coast or in big cities, they're going to laugh at different things than my parents. Like, I'm pretty sure if my parents, you know, listen to, uh, I think it's Chris Gethard who did an entire stand-up routine on on his suicide attempt. And Mm -hmm. it's brilliant. And it is funny. I think if my parents watched it, they would be like, is this a monologue? What is he do? Like, I don't know that, that they would quite, yeah. understand what it was that he was, it's like, no, 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 this is really, you know, it, it is stand Or Bo Burnham, like what Bo Burnham does. Like that's, and it's constantly, and I think that that's the, one of the cores of the show here. It's, it's being an artist and, and constantly trying to expand yourself creatively. It's, it's this, but also meeting this duality of different generations and what funny means and it's kind of there for anyone that's ever had a debate with their dad saying like no this is actually funny and Caddyshack is fucking lame like get over it you know it's like and I've never had I actually like Caddyshack I don't know why I use that as an example but like no 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 but but even even in like in in the and I I know I'm jumping on the give it a stream but uh on the new Netflix show The Chair like yeah let's go there so you yeah, have the, the, the chair. What, so this is a show you're watching too, right? So, yeah. So I would say in terms of give it a stream, um, the, the, the two that I've seen recently um, that I would say um, give them a chance. The, the one that I would actually recommend more is um, it was on Comedy Central. Um, it got picked up and now season two is running on HBO. It's called The Other Two. Um, and it's, it's really funny. Um, and it's, it's 
also digging at the entertainment industry like hacks but from a different perspective which is that it's these two siblings their younger brother who's like 13 posts some youtube video and he essentially becomes the next justin bieber so -hmm. of course the siblings are older they're like late 20s early 30s one is like a former dancer one is trying to break into acting but like his biggest role he can get is guy who smells a fart in a commercial so (laughs) you know like you know of course it's like well are we do we ride on the coattails of our brother and um and molly shannon is outstanding in it but um i gotta say my 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 real tip of the hat goes to ken marino who um is from the old the stage and yeah american summer he's been around a long time he is outstanding he was in a parody of the bachelor i can't remember what it was called but it was fucking hilarious yeah marino really is outstanding the other one that i saw recently that it's interesting i i think i because i work at a university and my parents are both professors i watched the chair which is about sandra o um, taking over an english department as the chair which is like saying i get it's like a boss but not they're essentially the people who run whatever the department is like department of theater department of economics like the head of that department is called the chair um and it's funny it it deals with some things like campus politics and things like that and it's cute um i think i had i have too much like institutional experience i think i was getting a little little nitpicky like yeah that wouldn't happen at a university Nah, that wouldn't happen or yeah they got this wrong or they got that it's cute i would say if you're looking for like a romantic comedy it's fun um but the other two i would say is like the funny like really straight up comedy comedy show molly shannon has had a really interesting last five years or so. And I, I, I will check that show out because I, I've seen it pop up in those, when you're on your app and it pops up and it's like suggested shows for you, that, that, that show, I, I see Molly Shannon's picture all the time. But did you, so there's a couple movies that she's had recently which are definitely dramas. And then it seems that she's been doing these these new shows. The other two, she's on this White Lotus. Like she's 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 kind of having White, this. Yeah, yeah. White Lotus. White Lotus was another one that I I uh, I streamed recently. Um, it, it definitely, I think I might actually even say White Lotus. Is, I would put a little bit above the chair and worth of giving it a stream. Um, I. It's not a murder mystery, but there is kind of this heightened anticipation. In episode one, you'll see what I mean. Like there is this like, oh man, something's going to go down. And then you sort of, it's one of those things where in the first episode, you see the end of whatever the story is. And then they go all the way to the beginning and then they work their way back to to that thing. So you do have the sense of like, what's going to happen? Who's going to be the one to whatever? Um, And the discovery was like, Oh yeah, I mean, it, 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 I don't want to say it was there's all that, those shows. It's like Mary East Town. There's the killing or whatever with yeah, with the Cole Kidman. There's all these like little murder mysteries. It, yeah, and I think it's I I think to call it a murder mystery might be an oversimplification because it is more than that. But um, but I would say that that Molly Shannon is really good in it, and uh, Steve Zahn is just love that guy. Oh guy just God. keeps delivering the goods. Gentlemen, if I may uh, dive in here. Oh my God, from the clouds for the last few minutes of this podcast, Mr. Matt Hay is off of his work shift. Hey, buddy. What's up, man? Yeah, um, the White Lotus, I got to jump in on this because it's definitely worth giving it a stream. Give it a stream. Uh, This is the zeitgeist right now. This is the most talked about show. It's like six episodes. I saw a few people posting about it and um, I I wasn't really going to give it a shot, but then there was um, episode three, I think Stifler's mom, uh, she kind of went viral with this, uh, you know what I'm talking about, Andrew, she's on the boat and this couple is trying to have their romantic um, evening, but then the 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 host of the island is trying to get back at them so he's he sends them on this uh uh dearly beloved dearly bereaved um kind of voyage 
And as she gives this heartfelt breakdown, I can't bury my mother at sea. I can't do it. I'm not ready. <laughs> and then they're like, what? I the want fuck? a goddamn hot dog. <laughs> yeah, I want a hot dog. Oh, God. Oh, I just need, I just need someone to rub my back. Yeah. I need a massage. I got to bury my mother. I have her ashes on me. It was fucking hilarious. Um, but that's what got me into the show. And then I, I think that's what people need to be watching right now. I mean, um, I know you guys probably talked uh, at length about hacks, which is why we're here, which is uh, a microcosm for our careers. But um, I, I, I think White Lotus was a lot of fun. I just wanted to jump in and say that. No, I, I, I will. I, I will back up. I will back up Hayes on that. It is definitely a lot of fun. Uh, I think my my critique is kind of as you say, Bob. Uh, right? It's it's a nit, right? It's a little. It's mm. like a little thing. Um, I think uh, in, in that regard, but it's it's funny. Like, and the writing is great. And there is there is something about the music because they use this. Um, Oh God! Yeah, traditional Hawaiian music that's got this real sense of suspense. So, like the whole time, you're kind of a little bit like, ah, ah, like you're just kind of like, oh, what the hell is going oh, on? What's going to oh, happen? Oh, yeah, oh, it's, it's really kind of intense and fun in that way. Super tribal, but like foreboding at all times. Like these all people, the time. these people just be like getting drunk at a happy hour, but it's like, oh, oh. <laughs> like oh shit something's about to go down oh they're going scuba diving tomorrow <laughs> uh yeah. i i think yeah it's 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 really fun it's, it's such a uh and anyway such a small outlay of your time what six episodes i think they're 40 minutes yeah you you, you can you can hammer through it pretty quick yeah wow anything else you'd like to shout out as a give it a stream mr hayes i mean uh i haven't been watching a lot of uh, television uh, or, or, you know, streamable c- c- consumer, you know, stuff yeah. to be consumed. But um, I mean, in terms of going to the theater or streaming on services, I, I did stream Stillwater, which I thought was fairly solid and a little convoluted in terms of where the movie was the going. The Matt Damon movie. The Matt, Matt Damon. Damon movie. Yeah. yeah, my boy. Um, Green Knight, I think, is definitely a movie to not stream and go see in theaters if you can. Yeah, don't give that a stream, but just go see it in theaters. Okay. I, I think it's beautiful, and I mean, Quiet Place too. We're we're late on that one, but uh, that was that felt like it, being back in the theaters for real. But then, oh, mass mandates are back up. Okay, let, let, let's send this to the streamers. Um, I I think people are missing out on some. I mean, it hasn't been a great summer. People are not releasing their five star films. Um, but there's some four star films out there. I think that are if you're if you're comfortable going back to the theater and if there's one by you that that is showing and open and, and not shuttered. I think Green Knight, uh, Stillwater, perhaps although that's, that's probably okay to watch at home. But um, Quiet Place too. I mean to be to be in the theater with because the sound is so like like you can't be pausing that movie. You you, yeah. you can't be like having people walking up and getting getting. Cokes and glasses of wine and fucking talking on their, you know, and looking at their phone. That, that you have to be locked into a movie like that, and it makes it so much better. So I think that's what's. I mean, yeah, streaming at home is great, but like there are still stuff that's like you're missing something if you're not watching it in the theater, or at least in some sort of deprivation chamber with with headphones yeah. on. Seeing as we're all theater nerds, I'll probably go see Dear Evan Hansen in the theater and you know, wave through a window. <laughs> I, I i actually do plan on seeing that but uh the the other one that i saw and and maybe we'll give a, a most more thorough in depth when we have some more time haze is the anthony bourdain documentary roadrunner roadrunner yeah I very I'll, I'll recommend it for you guys everybody take that as homework for yourself and and we'll be back to talk about that on an, another episode because i got a lot of thoughts and yeah. i have been bitten by the anthony bourdain bug and it took me long enough but definitely a very interesting documentary. I definitely want to get your thoughts on that because you haven't really watched much of his shows. I've watched quite a bit going in. So it's going to be interesting to get perspective on kind of coming up from different angles. Uh, in terms of streaming, I mean, he just uh, po- posthumously released a travel book and it's essentially a transcript of all the episodes and all the good quotes, but also his assistant has kind of framed it in a way. It's like, if you want to travel to Barcelona, here's the airport you want to fly into and here's how much a taxi costs. And also here's what Anthony said about it when he was shot there in 2002. Yeah, that's um, 
So I've been reading the book and then going back to parts unknown and no reservations and like, oh, I just read the chapter on Barcelona. Let me go see that episode where he goes there. And then he travels to San Sebastian in Basque country for the next episode on parts unknown or, or, or even more, you know, uh, timely, like, like Sri Lanka pre or like during the civil war. And then for no reservations where it's all, they're all locked down. And then, uh, after the civil war is over and there's peace and he goes back there for parts unknown. And that is super interesting. I, I mean, I would definitely recommend if you have that book, uh, travel guide by Bourdain, uh, and you want to kind of read and then watch along with his episodes, that's a great way to kind of, mm. I don't know, discover that guy. But yeah, we'll talk about the documentary, I think. Probably next. And then the, the last thing I had, which I can, I can right now with a half hearted thumbs up, give it a stream to nine perfect strangers on Hulu. That's the one with Bobby Cannavale and it's got Michael Shannon and Melissa McCarthy and Nicole Kidman and you know, a bunch of, bunch of people, but it, it's okay right now. It's starting to settle into what it's going to be. And I, I just think there's some really quality monologues in it. It really, I'm not as invested in the narratives, but every episode, it seems someone steps out and just fucking crushes a three or four minute monologue and i have been just enjoying that part of it not my favorite so far but at least worth a stream for the acting performances andrew i want to get your opinion uh an ex-girlfriend of mine told me that uh in 10 years time i'm gonna be armand from white lotus do you uh, mm. <laughs> do you agree <laughs> Got licking, it. licking I, I, anus uh, high on ketamine. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I, don't say, know. I would hope for for less coke, but you know, aside from that, the yeah, anus I'm licking. Like, aside from that, wait, I, you, I'd say it's a dead ringer. Wait, you think I'm going to be on my hands and knees eating out some straight bellhop, but not on coke? I mean, <laughs> what is the trade? I don't know. <laughs> well, the, there's six and one half dozen the other. I mean, I don't know. This is going to be the most interesting podcast to listen to back when you parachute into this motherfucker with your <laughs> anus bits. The, conver- the tone of the conversation, the first 30 minutes based on, and then the last five has just been a uh, total. Elect- I, I, I couldn't. I could, I mean, I, I'm a little late here, but I couldn't pass up the opportunity to, to get on the mic, get on the sticks with the grand exalted ruler, yeah. Andrew Papa. I mean, what an honor to have you on, oh, on the airwaves. Yeah. Please, uh, we're in no, your debt. We are in your debt. We will play you out with some beautiful audio from this wedding we went to in, the, in yeah. honor of you. <laughs> but we are. Uh, Ceremonial chant. Uh, <laughs> He's leaving, and he's gone. We lost Andrew. Yeah, he's gone. <laughs> but thank you, Andrew, for coming on and talking with us today. First of many, we're excited to have you uh, on our on our metaphorical couch here on our on our green room movie buddy chat couch. So, friend of the pod, Andrew Papa. He listens to every episode. Apparently, I don't know. thanks, guys. As long as he's in the car. Yeah, but yeah. thank you, buddy. <laughs> thank yeah. you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Hayes, for running in from a long day of work. And of please remember to wash your hands, stay safe, and we'll see you down, down the, the road. road. Bye. Bye. It's time to go. Here we go.